Hi, I'm Sabrina and he's Marcus. And we are two of the founders of the Black Trail Runners. You can find us on Instagram at the Black Trail Runners. We're a community and campaigning group seeking to increase inclusion, participation, and representation of Black people in trail running. If something resonates with you, please let us know and share online. Also, leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected as it helps our podcast grow. Your support helps to make this podcast possible. Thank you for downloading this episode. Now, let's head to the conversation. The Checkpoint is supported by the North Face, whose fundamental mission remains unchanged since 1966. To provide the best gear for their athletes and the modern-day explorer, support the preservation of the outdoors, and inspire a global movement of exploration. I'm Sonny Peart, one of the co-founders of Black Trail Runners. Today I'm talking to Hugh Burton. Hugh is a runner, having twice completed the New York Marathon. He's also my cousin. The reason I'm talking to Hugh today is that he is the victim of a grave miscarriage of justice. 30 years ago, following the killing of his mother, Hugh was convicted of murder in a New York court and sentenced to life in prison. He served 20 years before being released on parole in 2009. In 2019, after decades of campaigning and with the help of the Innocence Project, his conviction was overturned and he was exonerated. For the first time since he was 16, Hugh is now a free, innocent man. Our conversation runs over two episodes. This is part two. To what degree do you think race is actually involved in this? Did it to make- every degree. To every degree. Race um, race uh, played a factor. And, you know, a lot of times we are encouraged to not say that it was an issue of race. Um, black people more so than anyone. We're always encouraged to say, no, that that's not what it is. But let me say this. If you take two, you take a couple, the couple, they, they're, they're married in another country, they come to America, uh, the wife really uh, uh, makes her way uh, with nursing, um, the man breaks up his band, um, he comes here and he works with his hands, he's an independent contractor, he, he does everything. Um, they together become real estate investors, um, mm. they're doing everything, they become citizens, they're doing everything. So let, 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 let's be clear. This is your family, right? So your family was an aspirational middle-class black family in New York. This is exactly. This was my, the two people I'm speaking about, uh, my mom and my dad. Um, then this happens. If I was anything other, they would have afforded every opportunity to find out what happened to this woman because her only child is going to be short, probably more than likely for the rest of his life. We have to find out what happened. That's the way their mind would have worked if it was anybody else. 
but because it was a black woman laying there, it didn't, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, we'll we'll figure out, oh, this is the easiest lead. Like, okay, this is what we're going with. We didn't value our life, and it it, it it was an issue of race. And, I, you know, we always say, no, it's, it's not that. No, it is that. No, I, we I, have to stop being afraid of having that conversation. That is actually, you, you've, you've brought this home to me. So even, even when I asked the question, I was thinking about race as it applied to you as the alleged perpetrator. Uh, but you brought this home to me that it's not just about that. It's also about how race applies to the victim as well. Uh, in this case, your mother. Um, and in some way, you know, that this is less, uh, you know, less important uh, because, uh, you know, she's not white, basically. Uh, yeah, I, you know, there's, there's a lot going on here. So, let me ask a, uh, another question here. So um, I want to think about uh, what, you know, if you, if you could talk to your younger self, so, you know, now you're 47, 48, um, 48. Uh, yeah. You're still younger than me. So, um, <laughs> so uh, if you could talk to your 16 year old self um, and indeed if you could talk to someone who was arrested today as a young person of color uh, you know for a you know arrested or stopped or questioned for something that they know they didn't do what would your advice be to them? What What would you say to them? Well, again, you know, I would say to them, you know, um, first, always know what your rights are. They bank on you not knowing your basic human rights. Um, if one is already arrested and falsely uh, charged with something, usually when you're falsely charged with something, the crime is heinous in its nature. Very rarely is the crime not heinous. It's usually heinous. And um, I would tell that, listen, um, you're going to get to the truth. As long as you, you're tr if, if it's, as long as you know you're innocent in your heart, the truth is going to come to light. I don't know how long that is going to take, but you have to remain focused and you, you have to remain committed because there are going to be days where you're going to be tested like, you know, this is never going to end. And, you know, just forget about it. I'll just do the time. I'll just, you know, do whatever. There are going to be days like that. And when those days come, when those days come, you have to, um, you, you have to find the strength to, you know, to keep, to keep pressing on. You have to find it. Okay. So, um, one of the things I want to ask you about, and this and this is quite difficult, um, is what your experience of prison was. So, you know, I know that you have spent you know, nearly 20 years in prison um, you know, as an innocent man. Uh, you know, but regardless of that, um, you know, many people listening to this, including myself, uh, will have 
you know, our ex our knowledge of prison comes from Hollywood films, TV series, um, and you know, you know, maybe some description from other people. Personally, my I myself, I I've, I've been in a prison once uh, when I went for a job interview uh, here in London, uh, and I found it pretty oppressive. Um, so, I. And I entirely understand if this is something that you don't want to talk about, uh, but I would be really interested in um, hearing about how it is to, you know, you know what the U.S. in prison experience is. We see it here in films. Uh, we see some documentaries with uh, Louis Theroux. Uh, we see... Uh, you know, the 13th, uh, talking about the prison industrial complex. Um, but I'm not sure that we're getting the real picture. I, you know, maybe we are, but I don't know. Um, right, something well, you're willing yeah, to yeah. talk about, I'd be, I'd be so yeah. interested in that. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's, it's a large portion of my, of my life, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, you cannot not talk about it, you know, um, and let me say this at prison, the experience is different from person to person. Each person's experience is going to be very, very different. Um, for me, um, going in as a 16 year old kid, you know, wasn't, um, didn't really have much fight in me, you know. Um, I'm terrified of being in this environment that I am not, um, I was never raised up in. I didn't know how to thrive in it or anything. Um, and as I said, I didn't have much fight in me. Um, so my first few months, uh, were hard. They, they were very, very hard in prison, man. Um, because I had this big bullseye on my back that I was the, the sick guy that killed his mother. So, um, I was equally hated by prisoners as well as staff. Um, and if staff were, uh, um, could, uh, put you in a compromising uh, position where people could, uh, uh, you know, assault you, then, you know, um, it's, it's, it's another day. Um, that, you know, um, being beat up and stuff like that, that went on, um, for, 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 for a few months for quite some time until, um, everyone has a threshold and where you become tired of it and you say, okay, well, it looks like this is going to be where I'm going to be. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't live the rest of my life this way. Um, so you begin to meet the energy the same way. Uh, but in doing so, you realize that in order to thrive in it, you have to relinquish a piece of your own humanity. And as years go on, as years go on, you lose more and more of yourself because this abnormal environment of prison, you have made all of its uh, things inside of it normal. They become normal to you. So whereas I, when I first went in and I seen someone assaulted and beat up, it's like it's it was shocking. It was terrifying uh, to see that happen because I'm saying, am I next? Only less than, you know, a little less than a year later, now I can see people uh, um, bad where they have to be airlifted out of the place. And I'm sitting there eating my sandwich like, is somebody going to clean that up um, or what? You start to lose a piece of your humanity. And, you know, as years go on, it's, you, you, 
You have to fight to hold on to it. Um, and again, that's why I'm so thankful that um, I had my father uh, for 13 of those uh, 20 years that I was there. Um, I'm glad I had it because it kept me grounded and said, don't let this thing make you become so dark hearted that you don't know how to really function in the real world. Um, so whereas I didn't have the problems um, of being scared or, or, or being assaulted because now I can assault you with the same amount of energy. Um, but I'm losing who I am. You know, so the experience, it, it, it differentiates from person to person. Um, thankfully, I had, um, I had some family that would come and bring books and you start to read uh, uh, about you know, people's personal struggles and you start to internalize it and you start to grow spiritually. And, you know, you're in a place where there is uh, a lot of spiritual growth goes on. Um, some don't keep up with it when they come home. It was just a thing to pass time. Um, for me, with everything that I had been through, it's, it's all I had. It's like, yo, believe it, you know. So um, a lot of the self-help books, those, you know, those were my things. And, you know, just trying to find strength and um, not allowing myself to become so frustrated and, and angry that you can't concentrate on the fight. Uh, sort of like the boxer who is just wants to go in there and, and just pummel the other guy, but the other guy can think. And he's like, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to use his anger and all the stuff against him. Um, and I'm going to beat him that way. He's going to beat himself. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of the same thing. I I think it's really interesting that you have kind of just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about that, and uh, that tells me something about how important this is to your experience. Um, mm. And it kind of makes me want to ask, have you got your humanity back? Do you think you have? Um, here's the thing. I never, like I said, as years go on, you lose, you lose pieces of it. You lose pieces of it in trying to normalize this, you know, the conditions you're under. Um, but again, as I was saying, I, I had, I had a, I had a great, great, great man or father. And I didn't lose all of my humanity. I didn't lose all of my humanity while there. And um, holding on to that, you know, the little bit that I can hold on to, um, it, it, it gives it, it gave me the strength to just press on it and, and get through it. So what, um, what was that no, little I, bit? I what it. was that little bit that you held on to? The truth. Nice. As corny and as as it sounds, the truth. And and you know, as years went on, it become the truth. It seems like it's so small because you've done so much time in the 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 the, the uh, um echoes of you being guilty are there. So the truth becomes small and you hold on to it. And um, you know, it's it it would get you through at night because you're saying, you know, regardless of what I am not supposed to be here. There's no way to shape that. Sure, that that yeah, that that is really great. So, um, we've been talking for a while, and you know, I'm conscious that this is 
um, emotionally and uh, you know psychologically uh, sort of challenging. But I still have quite a few questions. So if you're if you're happy to answer them, I'm. I, there, there are more questions, uh, and some of these might seem kind of absurd, but they come from the point of view of someone who simply doesn't understand the, uh, uh, you know, the experience, the life experience that you have had. Um, so here, here's what I want to ask. So, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm going to start by bringing this back to running, which seems a little bit kind of, um, sort of, uh, superficial, but, um, I, when I first heard about you and learned about been through i was like how on earth do you start running in prison that makes no sense it's like you're in a cell and like you know I, my version of prison is you know i've seen you know the shawshank redemption there's no running involved there so um and then i heard you talking about uh having a running track and uh, somebody who was a kind of mentor for you uh, and kind of encouraged you to run. So please, please tell me about the kind of practicalities of learning and starting to run as a uh, prisoner in the American prison system. Uh, yeah, great question. Great question. Um, you know, while I was there in, in, my, in my early 20s, um, I was into, you know, playing football and baseball and stuff like that. Um, as a result how, how of playing play football and baseball, I don't understand you're in prison. What's going on? How, yeah. how can you be doing these things? Well, you know, um, unlike, unlike TV, I, they would love for people to believe that it's just these, uh, dormitory areas where, you know, you're just inside and you go outside for just one hour a day. What are you it's, telling me? It's, it's not it's, like that? What's, what's going on? No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. Now, understand this. In some, and there are prisons that are set up that way. You know, be clear. There are prisons set up that way. Um, in New York, they have prisons that are geared that way. They're, you know, special housing unit prisons. Um, you know, they, they're maximum security prisons. They're medium security prisons. So each of these bring with it a, a different type of amenities, if you will, of things that you can do, you know, meanwhile there. Um, so in playing sports, you know, it was required that, you know, you have to probably jog, you know, jog around the yard when you're practicing uh, for football or whatever. Um, back then, I hated the... Um, I hated the the um, running around, and, and, you know, the yard. I just wanted to play football. I didn't see the value in it. Mm. But I used to see older guys who weren't playing football who would just come outside to just run. And I thought it was the craziest thing in the world because it's only a quarter-mile track. And they're running for the whole yard period, which is two hours. And I'm like, why are you just running in this circle? You know what I mean? So <laughs> I... I didn't understand it, but in looking at them, they seemed to be like, uh, they just were focused. Whatever they were thinking about, 
They were focused on it. Um, and they didn't seem to have a worry or care in the world as if they, the running took them out of the prison. And I knew that some of these guys at the time had 20 years in, 25 years in. And I'm like, they're jogging and they're looking like young men. And um, I said, I wanted that. So outside of the football thing, I, you know, I come out and I try to uh, do some running and I realized that, oh, wow, there's really a technique to running and I don't have it. So um, <laughs> I kept at it and some of the older guys, they would see me trying to run and struggling and, you know, they would teach me how to, how to breathe and, you know, they're just, they're just different basic things. And I started to use it as a means of taking myself away from thinking about all of the problems, um, how my dad was doing, if I, you know, whatever, just, just run. So what started from just being able to do four laps for one mile, you know, um, now it turns into a few miles and now you're able to come outside was come outside and say, well, you know what? I just feel like running. I'm going to run a quick five miles. I just want to get my, just want to pick up the pace of my breathing. I'm, I'll run five. And you're doing this, you're doing this. And as I said, you become, you become good by default. And, um, <laughs> you know, and they used to have a, a, a channel, uh, when I was there, it was a running channel, and you used to see stock, uh, the, the stock market running on the lower third of the screen. But they would always show these marathons from all over the world and in different, you know, different states, and it was fascinating. You know, you see hundred k marathons, fifty k, and you know, and it was wild. And I was like, wow, you know, I really want to do this. So I started really getting into the nut, nuts and bolts of running, and. Um, then I started to reach my 30s, still exercising and stuff like that. But now the importance of running um, is really taking hold in my, in my life because the diet that they're giving you in there is so poor. Um, so you have to do things to keep yourself healthy. So running became as, you know, like breathing. It's like, this is what you do. Um, and Again, as I said, it, it became a degree of therapy for me. Um, and watching uh, half marathons on Channel 7 over here in the States and watching, you know, um, Nigeria win the, uh, the New York City Marathon <laughs> yet again, you know, so. Uh, I think you've got I, it I, you know, Kenya who wins it every year. But, you know. Oh, Kenya. Yeah, Kenya. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, but, you know, um, you know, watching these things, it was like I really, really enjoy it. And, um I was just talking one day and I said, you know, I ever get a chance to get out of here. I'm going to run a marathon. And, you know, the first one was in 2016. I didn't know what to expect, but um, I know, I, you know, what running had done for me for just having peace of mind um, and to be able to know that I used to watch this inside the prison day room. I would watch marathons. Now I'm standing here with my bib on. Uh, waiting for you know, waiting to get into into the corral. Can you can you can you no say way. a bit more about that? So, you know, being in prison but running, and how that affects your state of mind. Yeah, um, in 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 prison, there is whatever problems that you have, you there is no way to run from them. You have to deal with it. You, you, you're in the cell. It, you are with you all day, every day. The problems are not going to go anywhere. For me, the running uh, represented 
like a freedom, if you will. It represented a freedom because now I was able to run for the whole rec period and not stop. And people would just stay in amazement, like, you know, you just, just running. But in my mind, I'm, no, I'm running. I'm no longer in the prison. I'm home. I'm talking to my father. I'm asking him to pull the saxophone out. I'm thinking about these things consciously as I'm running. And it can take me. I'm not in prison anymore. I'm out of here. Um, so, you know, running was something that um, really, really, um, for that's, the last, I'm going to say the last 10 years, that was uh, therapeutic for me. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because as someone who's never been in prison, um, running still feels like an escape, right? So, you know, I'm thinking about things and experiencing things that, um, you know, in my non-running existence feel constraining, feel like they are trapping me. Uh, but while I'm running, I can expand beyond them. I can uh, experience them or think about them in a way that is not constrained. Um, yeah, this is, this, this is really interesting. So, um, I, so another question I want to ask you, um, is about what, you know, from where you are now, um, what can people do to help your situation? I mean, you've talked about, you know, uh, being, uh, you know, you, yes, you know, we can talk about running. We can talk about, uh, you know, you know, feeling innocent. Um, what, you know, is there anything that we can do to help where you are now? Um, pretty, I mean, pretty much, Continuing, first and foremost, continuing to spread the word that, you know, like this really happened to somebody. This is not something that you turned on Hulu or, or Netflix or, or HBO and watched. This really happened to somebody. Um, and it's like, you know, continue to make people aware um, of, of, of these things. I think that's first and foremost. Um, Another thing that people can do, I don't know um, across the pond, like how many um, organizations you guys have uh, that deal with uh, uh, people who say, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm innocent and I need help. Um, if you guys do have that, man, volunteer uh, um, to go in there and, and, and learn. Even before I was exonerated, I would go down to the Innocence Project offices and you know, talk to uh, my attorneys. And, you know, if I was working down in the area, I would just stop there just for the sake of stopping there. And in doing so, I learned so much about law. I learned so much about other cases and what they were doing uh, um, to hide truth in those cases. And it's, you know, you become inspired to want to do something uh, um, different because you see a need uh, to, to you know for for something on uh, whether let's say for instance some of your audience is into real estate um 
you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, people are coming home every day. Um, you can leverage your knowledge of real estate um, to provide, to help provide housing. You know, um, there are a lot of things you can do. Whatever a person's job is, if your job contributes to the furthering of society, then you have all the viable skills one needs to help not only me, but anyone coming from that situation. I I understand it's a difficult question and maybe one with no answer, but you know, I'd be very interested in you telling me if you can, you know, how do you deal with this? Uh, you know, the, the pressure of this, it just seems intolerable. You know, you know something, um, I, I don't have, um, a, well, you know, this well drawn out uh, answer for that. What I will say is this, how did I go through all of that and still have the strength to press on with everything that was taken from me? I think how I did that first is by not asking, how am I going to do this? Um, that was the first thing. I have to, if I started trying to figure out how I'm going to do this, I would have never got through it. Um, I think I moved my, how am I going to do this to why? Why is this happening? What is to be learned from this? Um, so much has been taken from you. But this can't be what life is. And this is not what your parents came here and sacrificed for. For you to languish in some prison in upstate New York. No. So, you know, um, for me, it was that and it was learn to embrace the moment. And what I mean by that, I never forget the past. Um, I, I'm kind of in awe of the fact that, you know, you can approach it in that way. And uh, so that's your response. Um, yeah. I'm not going to pretend that I can imagine how this would feel for me personally um so yeah i i mm -hmm. i'm loving your response to that um so a couple of things that i just want to kind of end up you know i you know we've been talking for a while and i'm happy to talk frankly i'm happy to talk all night if that's what you want to do but um i i you know i <laughs> don't want to take up all of your time but um <sighs> A couple of things that I want to talk about, or just get a question on, is this, you know, you, you, you've answered lots of these questions, um, you know, as an individual um, and, you know, as someone who, you know, I, you know, I don't pretend to know you inside out, but, you know, we are related. I'm kind of thinking, um, you know, what does it feel like to be in the position that you're in? Um, you know, do you 
Uh, how how does it feel? I you know it seems like a you know it seems like a strange question, but um, you know the immediate question is kind of you know what's it like to be you, um, and I guess one way of thinking about it is you know I I don't know what do you do every day? What you know what's your routine? What you know how do you live your life? Um, you know, do you think about the fact that you spent 20 years in prison or do you not think about that fact? Do you, and, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to be offensive uh, here. I, yeah. you know, I'm, no, no, no I, I, I genuinely don't know how this would affect your life. Yeah. As far as, as far as our daily routines, um, you know, I, um, I'm a musician. So my father passed, on to me um the ability to appreciate music uh, and to actually play it so he was a sax player i play a bit of piano um but i do a little bit more than what he did he, he was a saxophone player he was a band leader and much better um than you know than i i am but i do a few more things so whereas he did less things he mastered more i do more things and i mastered less so um the ability to play music is part of my um everyday routine um i definitely start my day out man um by giving thanks that um you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm still here i'm still healthy i still have uh, my men- mental faculties uh, about me um and i'm grateful for the strength um that I'm given every day to complete the work that I have to complete. Um, my, you know, routine, it, it, you know, outside of music, um, it's, uh, it's subject to change. Um, for spending so many years with the same mundane routine, you don't want to do the same thing every day. I refuse to, <laughs> so, I refuse to do I the same thing that. day to day. So, um, so here, here's, here's another question. So, one thing I've been really struck by about you is uh, the fact that you are incredibly articulate uh, and well read. Um, you know that's something that you know me as a uh, lecturer in uh, university. Uh, that's the kind of thing I privilege. So um, you know I noticed that, um, and I'm and I'm kind of struck by well. You know, if if my experience, well, not experience, but you know, if my knowledge of uh, being involved in the American prison system is anything to go by, um, you know, going into that age sixteen um, and you know coming out twenty years later, I, you know, articulacy is not what I'm expecting. So I I would just be really interested in. Uh, what your educational experience was while you were in prison? Um, interesting enough, when I first went in, uh, I was a sophomore in high school. Um, mm. So my father, um, he actually managed to get me. He actually managed to get me uh, um, bail after twenty three months. Uh, inside. So I was bailed out for about nine months. Uh, In the nine months that I was uh, out, I uh, actually uh, got an equivalency uh, diploma and I started to put myself in a trade school. Um, I didn't get too far with that because um, I was uh, 
sent to trial where I lost. Uh, and I was sentenced to 15 to life. When I got into uh, back into the prison system and they sent me upstate, um, they knew I had the general equivalency diploma. Uh, and they, oddly enough, this is you're really going to love this, uh, <laughs> prisons at that time had college programs in them. Yeah. In New York State. And um, I was one of the ones who said, well, you know what, I wanna, I'm want i going to go to college. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I took liberal arts. Uh, and I, I don't know, I think for some reason I took it because it kind of made me feel as if I was still in high school with all these different uh, um, kind of courses. Mm. So um, I took that. And a few semesters shy of uh, the degree, um, the governor of New York at the time was like, you know, listen, we want to take college out of the prisons. Uh, because these guys uh, have committed crimes and they're going to college for free. But there are people who are out here who have never committed a crime a day in their life and they can't afford to send their children to school. Was that, um, so was that Rudy Giuliani? <laughs> huh? Was yeah, that right? Rudy Giuliani? I, I'm just imagining that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, by 1995, they had taken um, all of the colleges out of uh, the facilities. So, um, you know, a lot of guys were were left uh, without that, but because prior to that, I mean, they were giving out all the way up until I believe they were giving out masters in theology. Mm. What you can do with it, I don't know, but they were giving out masters in theology. You had a BA in business administration, yeah, 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 business administration. So, um, so. It was, it was it was a lot that guys were doing, and some guys were actually taking the degrees when they got home and were leveraging it uh, for you know decent jobs and, and, and a great payday and a and a means to take care of their family. I'm a firm believer that they didn't really want that happening um, because what is the purpose of having prisons if you're going to reform everyone that comes in and they're going to be productive citizens? It defeats the purpose of having prisons. So, you know, so, so, so talk me through that again, because that, you know, that would, um, that would probably contradict how many people in the UK would think about prisons. Um, so what, 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 what are you thinking about there? Um, as, as far as, as far as what? Um, so you, you've said that putting people into prisons, Oh, okay. To rehabilitate so, them would kind of be against the point of prisons. It, it'd be against the point of prisons because other countries, um, prisons are really utilized for what they are supposed to be utilized for, right? Uh, whether mm -hmm. it's punishment or reform. Mm -hmm. Only in America are prisons utilized as an entity of business, and it has been an entity of business for a very long time. Um, I have made everything me. Personally, I have made everything in prison from office chairs, hospital mattresses, prison mattresses, clothes, soap. I've mm. made it by my, I've been a, 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 an asbestos abatement handler, licensed. I've been in plumbing. I've been in all of these things. Prison is an entity of big business. Wow. They cannot have business falling. This is why they put prisons in upstate New York where there's land and it's rural because it provides an economy for people who are not black, who would not have an economy 
outside of the prison being in the town. <laughs> and in order for the prison to run and to bring money to the town, you need the fuel to make the prison run. Why would I rehabilitate you? For what? So you're, you're convinced this is a race issue? Yeah. Okay. That, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting a different answer to that. I'm just confirming that that's what you think. <laughs> that, that, that's great. <laughs> that, you know, I'm not surprised. Um, so let, let me ask you a slightly different question here. I, you know, I, you know, I, I re- repeat, I could keep talking to you forever about this stuff, but I, I'm going to try and sort of close it down a little bit. So okay. um, what do you what do you dream of? Mm. Um, one, um, I've gotten myself into learning uh, real estate and making um, – trying to get into a position to make investments myself for the purpose of getting my parents' house back at 3515 East Chester Road. Um, I sit, I watch the house. I know what the house is valued at. I know the last time I was sold. Um, yeah. Um, and when I get myself in a position one day where I have enough resources, um, I'm going to make an offer for the house not to live there. I have no desire to live there anymore. But it was my mother's first real estate investment, and it's hers. We were the first family to live in there. The house was newly built in 1985. So we were the first ones to step in there. That is her home. And, I, you know, and I'm duty-bound to make sure that, you know, it, it returns back to our hands. So that's, uh, that's, one, of my, that's one of my big dreams. So, um... So I've, I've got a big question to ask you, but okay. um, before I ask that question, um, okay. as a slightly smaller question is, um, what do your parents, you know, what do you think your parents would think about the man that you are today? They were, they were very cynical, <laughs> the two of them. Really? They, uh, they were very, yeah, they were very cynical. I, I, and I, I love them. They, they were very cynical, but they would have both said, well, what the hell took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> we gave you all of these lessons years ago. What took you so long? So, you know. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, okay, let me, let me ask you a practical question. So, mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I promise we're we're getting close to the end of this. Um, but okay. The so I've been in a prison once in my life. Um, mm-hmm. No, actually twice. I I went for an interview for a job uh, in Wormwood Scrubs, which is a well-known prison in London here, uh, and I found it really oppressive. I have no idea right. what it would be like uh, to spend, you know years uh you know even 24 hours uh in that kind of setting um so uh sort of a two-part question really which is one i i don't know which prisons you spent your time in and i Mm -hmm. you know i understand if that's a sensitive thing and you know it's not something you necessarily want to talk about but um you know i'd be interested if you are willing to talk about it 
Um, and, and just a sense of how prison compares to the kind of fictional TV movie account that most of us have as our idea of what prison is. You know, I've seen the Shawshank yeah. Redemption. I've I've seen various things, and I you know I know that that's crass for me to say that. Uh, but, um, you know, I really don't know what it's like to be in prison. Right. Um, right. and, um, and I feel kind of uncomfortable asking you about this, but I'm just going to claim family privilege here and say, Hugh, okay. what the hell was it like being in prison? Well, did they, did they have, did they have you guys quarantined, uh, over there in, uh, in the UK? Uh, we do at the moment. Yes. Okay, so imagine your quarantine. Okay, yeah. Um, in your quarantine, um, I'm telling you, you know, look, you can come outside, but you cannot come outside before seven o'clock. And at seven o'clock at night, that's it. Um, whatever food you have inside there is what you have. Um, you get food for you know two weeks. Um, everybody has the same amount of money to spend and you get food every two weeks. You get cosmetics every two weeks. Um, we have to come by and bring you your toiletries, your toilet tissue. You have to ask us Mm. for that stuff. Your razor that you want, you know, that you just go to CVS or whatever you go to the Walgreens or whatever, you have to ask us and you have to bring it back to us. And we have to make sure the blade is in there before we give you another one. Once a week, you get a new razor. Mm. Um, I tell you when to go to bed. I tell you what to watch. I tell you where to sit. I tell you when to move throughout your quarantine. Um, now. I want you to do that every day for 20 years. Wow. That's what it was like being locked up. And let me factor in, you are in there for something you didn't do, and Mm. we're not going to allow you to grieve until this is over. Wow. Um, I know this is difficult, um, and I'm kind of reluctant to ask it, really, but... um, so, you know, within that, uh, you know, we are what we see of prison life, you know, whether it's America or not, uh, is, you know, violence. Um, and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm going to ask you, and if you don't want to answer, I perfectly understand. Um, mm-hmm. is that your experience? Is this a violent, uh, situation is this a violent environment you know is violence part of what goes on on a day-to-day basis yeah um violence is definitely a means of communication um i even when i got comfortable in exercising i still would say let us find a viable solution before, you know, anyone, anyone is doing anything that, you know, they're going to regret. Um, Mm. I'm thankful that I had that degree of balance, but it's definitely an aspect. It's, it's a, it's a language. It's a, it's a communication and it's 
in some places, in some states, it's the it's the loudest. It's the most dominant language. In some states, you know, not so much. So in New York State, it's strong language. That's 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 a really interesting way of thinking about it. Violence as a language. Uh, I think that can help people understand what we're talking about here. Um, uh, you know, from a entirely practical point of view and again i apologize uh if this is a uh, naive uh ridiculous question uh, but um which prisons did you serve your time in i um i started as i was saying i started on rikers island um i totaled almost three years on rikers island uh, from Rikers Island after I was sentenced, I was sent to a reception facility where they begin to process you. Kind of like uh, going into the army and you're going into boot camp training. Okay. So I went to uh, what they call a place called Downstate and it's a reception center. I stayed there two weeks and they decided that I would be in maximum security based off the amount of time I had and the gravity of the circumstances in my case. I was sent about nine hours uh, upstate New York to a place called Elmira. Um, I stayed in Elmira for about a year. I left there and was then sent to a place called Kawasaki, uh, which was a very violent adolescent uh, maximum security facility. I stayed there for three years. Um, After that, I was sent to a place called Eastern uh, Correctional Facility where I stayed for the next five years. From there, wow. uh, that brings us up to about 2000. I was sent to a place called Fishkill, where I spent the next four years. After Fishkill, they sent me to a place called Otisville, where I was told that if you are a lifer here, you're going to die here. That's why they send lifers to this facility. Um, not wanting to believe that. Um, again, I stayed there five years, which brought us up to 2009 when I was paroled. So wow. that's how that's um, pretty much how that thing happened for me. Yeah, I, I, frankly, I can't even process that. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of shocked. <laughs> well, I'm not shocked. I'm actually not shocked. I'm not surprised, but I, uh, I just can't deal with that. Um, so I'm going to, what I'm going to say is that I, uh, have, uh, really, really, really appreciated you, uh, taking the time to talk about this stuff. Um, I know, oh, not a problem. I know not a problem. that some of it is very, very, uh, difficult to talk about and problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really important that people hear about these things. Um, and it's, I, it's, yeah, it's necessary. It is. Yeah. And I, I, so, so I just want to sort of very briefly just kind of summarize. I mean, I will have done this in the introduction to this, uh, talk anyway, but I, I want to just summarize, uh, you know, where we're at here. So we've got a person, uh, you know, a, you know, an innocent person, 16 year old boy in 1989, New York, uh, accused not just of murder, but of murdering his own mother. Um, you know, this is, you know, it, it couldn't be more traumatic. Uh, and yeah. then pressured into, 
giving a confession to that. Uh, and if you don't believe that that's possible to happen, well, please listen to the early part of this podcast. Please look at the film of uh, now, you know, when you see us, the you know the case of the Central Park Five, which was the exactly the same kind of process that went on, uh, and then spent twenty years in prison, um, and even after coming out of prison, was still considered to be a convicted murderer. Uh, and only after 30 years uh, was exonerated uh, through, um, you know, the hard work of himself, uh, of his own father, of uh, lawyers who'd worked on his behalf, and frankly, through pure chance that... Uh, the Bronx district attorney uh, provided uh, details of a file which had been kept secret uh, up to that point. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, I really want people to understand what's going on here. Uh, and my final question, and I, you know, I apologise that we're we're still going on here because I know this has taken no a long time. No worries. Um, and I know I kind of know what the answer to this question is, but I, I want you to say it because I've heard you say it before, uh, which is, are things different now, do you think? <laughs> no. Well, you know, again, yeah, they, they, the only difference in now and, you know, 30 plus years ago um, is the fact that you guys have much more cameras um, as things happen in real time, I can see someone assaulted on your block as it's happening halfway around the world. Um, we never had access to that kind of real-time truth. Um, and we're looking at it. Um, we're watching those who we pay to protect us. We watch them kill us on TV. And turn around and say, that didn't happen. Nah, that didn't happen like that. You're not looking at it right. <laughs> um, that's the only difference then and now. Um, they, I'll give you an example. My uh, arresting officers, when they came to testify at, uh, against me at my pretrial hearings, they said that, you know, they were satisfied with the round of questioning when I was in the precinct and we were leaving and they were bringing me back to my godmother's house. And I stopped them and said, Hey fellas, you know, this is really weighing me down. Let's, let's go sit down so I can tell you the truth. And I just rattled this whole confessional. That's what they testified to in open court. That is a matter of record, but there is no, uh, tape to say what you did. That's the difference that from then, to now. You guys have record of it. Stop letting people lie to you and say that that's not what it is. You have record of it. Everyone has a phone out. Everyone has a phone out. So we know what the truth is. We, turn, we, we just choose to turn the blind eye to it or act like it's not happening until it happens to us, of course. But, you know, that's the only difference with 30 years ago and, you know, 2020. 
Uh, yeah, that's pretty sad, really, isn't it, in many ways? Um, so, so I guess there is one more question that I have, um, which is um, what do you – well, no. So let, let me take this back to running. So I'm I'm conscious that you know I'm this podcast is for a running group. Uh, we're absolutely interested in issues of race and equity, uh, but essentially we're about getting more people running. So, uh, do you still run? Yes, I do. And Rob, just what does- I, you know, I run. Oh, can you say me? Yeah, what, what what does running mean to you? Uh, freedom. Freedom. Um, it's a space, it's a headspace that I can get in that no one, no, nothing can get into and change. Um, for me, that's ultimate freedom. Okay, that's a really loaded uh, point. Uh, it's a really yeah. loaded uh, sort of definition. So, is there a difference running when you were in prison and now? Um, no the the reasons are still. Uh, the same um running is running regardless of where uh, uh you're doing it at the effects don't change um as a matter of fact running helps you change your environment to whatever you want it to be well that's a really interesting <laughs> point what 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 do you mean by that you can change it into whatever you want it to be so when i'm running i'm always um, thinking about being home, sitting down at a table, eating food with off a plate with a fork as opposed to a bowl and a spoon like I'm 12. I would think about normalcy as I'm running. And as you know, the power of thought, as you keep reinforcing a thought over and over every day, it becomes your reality. And the only thing that it can do is manifest itself on this plane of life. So what you think about, you become. I thought about being free. I thought about sitting down and eating at a table. Not somebody knocking this stick on the side of the table and saying it's time to get up and move. So running man creates whatever environment you want. You are the soul controller of that mindset that mindset could also be a mindset that you just create despair with everything in which you do despair will become your reality whether you believe you can or believe you can't either way you will be 100% correct all the time so you know um, for me Running is freedom, man. No? That 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 is pretty. 
that is powerful stuff. I'm, I'm, yeah. So that's way more than I was expecting as a response to that. That that, that is, yeah. Um, and I guess what I would say is, um, you know, so let. So I I know I've said this already, but I I've said yeah I've got one more question to ask, but I've still got one more, and in fact two more questions to ask. So I'm going to ask you this. So, um, what what's your running future? Are you do you have any plans uh, for what you're going to do? Yes, um, you know I ran. I had a few guys that I, I ran with uh, when I was inside there. A couple have been deported. Um, you know, some have put on weight. Uh, some have got into a lot of uh, public speaking. But I've spoken to each of them, um, ex- with the exception of the one who, ones who have been deported. And I said, you know, um, I want I want the fellas. I want, to, want you all to get back in shape. Uh, I, I want you all to do the marathon with me. And I'm trying to put a team together when uh, things do get back to normal here um, and we're going to run and we're going to try to raise money and awareness uh, for people who are still there fighting for their freedom. And we're going to run and raise money. Um, And, you know, I've run in the two marathons that I was in. I was so thankful that there were other organizations who believed in me and says, "Okay, well, listen, we'll sponsor you and don't even worry about it. You know, some of the things I was almost late for uh, filing to get into the race. And, you know, they made things happen for me. and I'm thankful. And I, you know, I ran for different things. I'm going to put something together um, for me, and I'm going to put a team together. We're we're, we're going to run, and we're going to raise awareness, man, to 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 what they're doing. Great. So um, I I I know that you know you've run uh, New York Marathon, uh, and the basis on which you've done that. And I, you know, myself as a runner, I would love to run New York Marathon. Uh, it's on my bucket list. Uh, so, uh, if there's an opportunity for us to run that together, I would love to do that. Uh, equally, uh, if I, I know that you've been to the UK cause you've got family here. Um, and, uh, you know, if there's an opportunity for you to come to the UK and for us to run together, I would love that as well. Um, either of those things it would be great if we can make that happen um but um also i would i would say that uh you know i the the running that you're doing uh and uh all of that um you know i my guess well not my guess but i what i think is on here is that uh you want to publicize your case uh, and you want to uh, make a uh, move towards a situation where the people responsible for putting you in prison for a thing you did not do uh, are brought to justice and are held accountable. Um, so my last, well, possibly my last question to you, unless I think of another one, uh, is uh, what can people do to support that cause? How can we help you uh, sort of move towards that resolution, that sort of uh, sense of justice? 
I think one of the first things to do if anyone was to say, okay, well, I want to do something um, to help this cause, it wouldn't only be helping me, it would be helping a lot of people um, just like me because it certainly is like I'm not alone in this. But, you know, for me in particular, um, to ask, you know, when, once all of this stuff is come, comes out and, you know, and the, you know, the civil and all of this stuff, that, listen, we want to, why aren't we talking to people? Why aren't we talking to people, uh, pretty much, um, our politicians about holding these people accountable? If people want to know what they, what they can do, um, start letting people know, listen, we're aware of what ha- what's happening and we're watching. We're watching. And not only for this case, but we're watching all cases that this is that 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 you guys are doing this to because we have evidence that says this is what you've been doing for a while. When you start putting people on notice that way and you start holding fire to their feet, um they begin to get in the state of mind. They begin to get in the state of mind that, oh wow, somebody's gonna hold us responsible for all of this. We can't do this. But it's not enough. It's not enough for um, me to just, you know, talk about it every time, um, you know, when I have an interview. Um, anytime I talk about it, I'm always trying to get people um, involved to say, question them, ask them why, ask them to give you a, a working definition why their officials can do this, but nothing happens to them. Make them explain that to you. When you make them explain that to you, you'll see the silliness of their approach. And then you're saying, okay, well, what are you guys hiding? And why are you making it where they cannot be held responsible after it's been proven? So you mean to tell me that it's okay that we live in a society that can take all of your formidable formidable adult years and at the end of it all, say, okay, well, you know, hey, man, we made a mistake, man. You know, that's it. You know, you know, just f- find your way, figure it out, and everybody be all right with that. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. You know. Okay. Um, you've made it very clear, and I think, um, you know, I'll just add to that that um, I. You know, as a as a person who is asking you about this stuff, talking to you about this stuff, uh, it's really important that people understand that what you're talking about here is real. Is this is real life? Um, you know, I I hold my hands up. Uh, you know, as I said right at the start of this conversation, you know, I was in New York in 1989. I had no idea that this kind of stuff was going on, none whatsoever. Um, and now I do know, and my you know, response has to be, you know, not to deny it, uh, but to acknowledge it, uh, and to realize what that really means, uh, for, you know, you as an individual, for the rest of us as individuals as well. Uh, you know, this is not, um, a, uh, one-off impersonal thing. Uh, this is something that actually does affect all of us, frankly. Um, so, um, I'm really, 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 really grateful. I, 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 you know, I can't emphasize it enough. I'm really grateful for you, uh, spending the time talking to me about this today. Um, 
it's um you know i absolutely understand that this is can be uh really painful difficult for you uh this is you know it's not it's not an easy thing to talk about you know i find it difficult so you know it must be much more difficult for you um and uh, you know i really appreciate you taking the time to do that um and what i hope is that we can um you know share this with people so that uh they're aware of it uh, so that they can take action uh, to help uh, promote this. Uh, so I'm just going to say, um, you know, just stuff, and I've said this before, but one final question. So that, uh, a logistical question, but um, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, if people want to find out about your story, find out more about it, where should they do that? Um, I have a, there's a fan page on, on, on Facebook. On, it's just Hugh Burton on Facebook. Um, I love to just, uh, talk to people. My, my, uh, email is hughburton72 at gmail.com. I, I love to sit down and, and engage people like that. Uh, social media is, it's cool for what it is. Um, I haven't fully in, in, embraced it, but, um, I still love, um, just the, in, just to interact with people. Um, so, you know, those two ways is the easiest way to get in contact with Okay, we'll we will absolutely share those share those addresses and those links. Um, I I keep saying it. I, I'm going to say it again. This is the last question. Okay, so, all right. <laughs> I, I I claim sort of privilege of being a relative, so exactly, I can exactly. ask you loads <laughs> exactly. of questions. So, um, uh, and this is a question which we've asked all of our uh, podcast guests uh, up to this point. Okay. Uh, so it's. Um, so every day, is there something which you do every day? Is there like a non-negotiable thing which you do every day? Um, yeah. Which no matter where you are, what you're doing, you do this every day. What What's that thing for you? Um, I have a I have an altar room where I have uh, pictures, whatever pictures I can find of my parents. Um, candles is just a room for that. Um, and I sit in there and I talk to my parents. I ask them every day to guide my words, you know, just help me make sure that my actions are in alignment with what's right. I talk to them every day. So, wow. That, yeah. that is, um, that's really powerful actually. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that. Um, so, uh, I, you know, you know, I, I, you know, clearly I know, and people listening to this will know that, uh, you know, clearly you've lost your mother in very distressing circumstances, uh, you know, which have had terrible consequences for you. Uh, your father died, uh, before, you know, your innocence was proved, uh, or at least uh, prove to the satisfaction of people other than yourself and your father. Um, so, um, yeah, to be able to think about your parents in that way, I can absolutely see how that would be a, um, a source of consolation, but also a kind of source of strength as well. Um, 
to sort of take you through the day and onto the next day. Um, so, Hugh, I'm I'm really grateful for the time that you spent today uh, talking about this, um, and I hope that I've done justice to uh, your story uh, and enabled and enabled you to sort of articulate that um, you know, in a way that will inform and educate our listeners. Um, and, um, you know, I, you know, I can't, can't thank you enough for that. Cause I absolutely appreciate that this is a difficult thing to talk about. I, I, I've been really nervous about doing this, uh, <laughs> seriously. Not a problem, but you know, you know, well, you know what, and I, and I, what I'll do, I'll, I'll close, I'll close with this. Let me say this. Um, yes, it's, you know, it never gets easier, um, to talk about these things, but let me say this, that there are forces that depend on the ignorance of day-to-day people about these kind of things. In order for it to work, you have to be unaware that it's going on. Like, you know, nobody confesses to something they didn't do. You cannot be aware that this happens because you're going to begin to question things. And that's what we cannot have. We can't have you questioning anything. So, being invited to a platform such as this, I'm duty bound to make sure that you at least leave with another view. You can choose what you want to choose afterwards, but as I'm duty bound to leave you with another viewpoint of what's going on, you know? So um, I, I, I should be thanking you <laughs> because I spent many years inside this screaming at the top of my <laughs> lungs that I was innocent and no one wanted to hear me. Yeah, now I, people are saying, come here, we want to hear you. So I thank you. I Well, I, I feel that we should end on that point, or, although it still raises more questions for me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's really well articulated. Uh, you know, fantastically, uh, you know, made it really clear. Uh, so, um, yeah, Hugh, my cousin, I, you know, absolutely, uh, you know, have enjoyed, it, it seems weird to say I've enjoyed talking to you about this because it is a painful and in many ways a terrible, uh, subject to talk about, but I, I have enjoyed it because, yeah. uh, I've heard truth, uh, and I have learned things about your experience, uh, and about, uh, how, you know, the system that, you know, can enable this thing, type of thing to happen, uh, not yeah. just two years ago but you know frankly today as well so um yeah a really 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 great conversation thank you thank you very much and um thank you yeah i i look i i hope lots of people will listen to this and um and they will learn things from it thank you all right all right thank you man thank you so much Thank you for joining us at The Checkpoint. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe and share online. Also, please remember to leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected, as it really helps our podcast to grow. Your support helps make this podcast possible. 
Remember, if you have any questions, get in touch with us via our Instagram page at Black Trail Runners. Or if you want to join our community, please search Facebook for Black Trail Runners and connect with us.